Today's the last day of our prayer series. In the past few weeks, we've been in the series of answered prayers. And um, the first week, we talked about the names of God. And we prayed um, according to those names. And if you guys remember, we had the walls down and we put our prayers in these walls back here. The second week, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. And then last week, we talked about uh, our breakthrough, breakthrough prayers. And we even um, read some of those out and celebrated and put some of those prayers up here. And I just think it's awesome. All these are all of your prayers from the past few weeks. And so it's pretty exciting. But today, we're going to close our series and talk about break, uh, not breakthrough prayers, we're going to talk about uh, prayers of confession today. Um, we're going to be in the scripture a lot uh, in Psalm 51, so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. Um, so when I was younger, I was about seven years old, I have a picture put up there, uh, I was seven and I lived in the Bronx and um, I, my aunt, so there's a picture, uh, thank Thank, thankfully to Google, we can pull up any one street in the entire world anytime we want. So this was pretty good. I promise I'm not stalking any of you, but uh, it, it was really helpful. So anyway, this was a street I used to hang out in in the Bronx. It was in Edgewater, Edgewater, I'll say it like I used to. And, um, and my aunt was a born-again Christian, only one in our family was a Christian, and uh, her pastor would hold Bible studies, and his house was actually one of those houses. I couldn't remember the number. I just remember the street. But it was one of those houses, and I remember uh, a lot of those people had, like, decks in front and stuff. Anyway, they had a Bible study, and me and my cousins were hanging out outside, and we were doing chalk all over the road. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, and I had no, you know, concept of God or, or anything like that. And just trying to be cool with my cousins, and we're chalking, and I decide to write in really, really big letters a not-so-great four-letter word that's like the mother of all the, from the Christmas story, you know that word, like the really, really bad word. I write it in huge letters, and I just, I don't know why, I have no idea, don't, kids, don't do that at home, but I wrote it, right, in these colorful letters, and and it was in summer, it looked just like that, really. It was right on that street, I wrote it, and people around, and anyway, one of the pastor's kids, his pastor kids, went and told on me, and uh, went upstairs and told on me, and so the pastor and the small group comes outside, and they're, you know, very Christian-y, and they come out, and they're like, oh my gosh, what did you do? And uh, I'm just like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, so anyway, I remember them sitting there and getting a bucket of water, and making me wash off the letters. And, and then having me say this, they, should, they had their Bible and I had to repeat some words about washing or whatever and wash it off. And then they prayed with me and one of the ladies was crying and put her arm around me and I'm just like, this is just re ridiculous. I have no idea what is happening, whatever. I walk away and nothing happened out of it. They're all like, oh, we taught her something and I got nothing out of that. But I washed it off the ground and whatever. And what, I re what I've realized now is you, just because I washed it off the ground and just because I said some words, I didn't believe why I was washing it off the ground. So it meant nothing to me. So praying the scripture, if we open our Bibles and we look at Psalm 51, it's just words if we don't believe what we're actually reading. So... Um, I want to talk about confession because even though I sat and prayed and I prayed something about washing, 
I wasn't forgiven in that moment. Even though they prayed for me to be forgiven, I wasn't forgiven because I didn't even know what I was asking for. In my heart, I didn't think I did anything wrong. So even though I just said these words, it meant nothing because in my heart, I didn't think it was a bad thing that I wrote that on the ground. See, confession, there's two different things. There's confession and repentance. And confession means that we're agreeing with God that what we did was wrong, but that alone will not keep us from repeating it. Uh, That's why repentance should always be a part of confession because repentance is when you feel this like heartfelt sorrow for your sin followed by a sincere, God, please forgive me, and a commitment to stop it. And then you have to kind of walk out in that obedience to stop it. It includes that the recognition that the sin, that what you did is wrong. And when we truly repent, the result is a changed life. See, I needed to not just wash something on the, off the ground, but I needed a changed life to truly know that what I was doing wasn't good. And I bet there's every week, there's a lot of us that come into here, into this place, and we have these issues in our life that we may not think are wrong. Or maybe we do know that they're wrong, but we don't truly want to get rid of them, or maybe we're not ready. We come in here and and we sing awesome songs. We listen to a great sermon by Pastor Nicole. We yell out amen. I know some of you are ameners. I hear you out there. Amen. Yeah, it's good, right? We throw a few bucks in the plate, hopefully more than a few bucks, but we do. And then we go home. We get back to our week. Meanwhile, we've got this major thing in our life that we're dealing with. But we continue to play the game, do all the religious things, and we've got this thing. It's kind of like, I had these guys help me, uh, it's kind of like, like, let's pretend this is your living room, okay? So this is your living room. And in the middle of your living room, so there's, you know, TVs here, uh, couches and stuff, I don't know, I have like a bunch of Xbox remotes in mine and a lot of messes and shoes and stinky socks from teenagers, but pretend, pretend that this is your living room. And in the middle of your living room, you've got this big pile of manure. And yes, this is manure, real manure. Can you guys smell it? My nose is stuffy, I can't smell it, unfortunately. I'm like, I want the real effect, I want them to smell it. But in your living room, you've got this pile of manure. And you come home, and you're like, okay, I got people coming over my house today, so I need to get the house ready. Uh, today's Super Bowl. We have people coming over later. My house is trash. So I'm going to go home, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweep. And we come in our living rooms, and we sweep, and we, we clean everything. We dust everything. We, we uh, mop the floors. We do all this different stuff. And we, for, we don't even pay attention to the pile of manure that's in our living room. The whole floor is clean, but we have a pile of manure. We'll even sit there sometimes and we'll be like, I'll just move this over. I'm going to sit here, just watch some TV. And there's a pile of manure next to you. Or maybe you sit there and you're like, in the morning, you have your like devotion time and you get your Bible and you're like, oh, ha, I'm going to read my Bible, praise Jesus. But there's a pile of poop sitting next to your chair in the living room. I don't, I don't, if I had a pile of poop in my living room, I don't think people would want to come over and watch the Super Bowl. 
I don't, I don't think, if I have a pile of poop in my life, how much is Jesus appreciating that? But we continue to try to cover up what we're doing. We continue to try to cover up the horse manure. We try to pretty it up. We, we get pillows, right, in our, in our living room. We're like, oh, maybe if I just put a pillow here, that's nice. It's good. It's not really there. It's got my pillow. Maybe if I turn it this way. That's a little bit better. Yeah, it's good. We'll leave it like that. And we've got this pile of manure. And sometimes, now sometimes, you may not even know it's there, right? Sometimes we go through life and we dust and we do our thing and we know the manure is there, but sometimes we don't know it's there. And people may come in my house and be like, uh, uh, do you know you got, you got a, you have a pile of manure in your living room. Yeah, that is manure. You, you have a pile of manure in the middle of your living room. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that was there. I mean, I knew I kind of stink a little bit. I do. I smell. Something smelled. I knew something smelled. Something was off, but I didn't even see that there. Sometimes people come into your life, you're like, did you know you've, you've got a big pile of manure right there? Like, you're wondering why people don't want to be around you, but there's manure in your life. And we, we don't know that. So, yes, sometimes we don't know that we've got this thing in their life. But see, when we accept Jesus into our life, he packs up his suitcase and he takes up residence in our heart. And he starts living in our heart. If someone doesn't want to come over my house for Super Bowl because I have a pile of manure in my life, what makes us think that Jesus wants to share our hearts with that? See, today, today I, I want to get rid of the manure. Today, I want to get honest with ourselves, with the people around us, and it's tough. So let's talk about how we get there. King David gives us a great example in uh, 2 Samuel 11. We know the story is David, king of Israel. He's a spiritual, political leader. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He has her husband murdered to cover it up. And all the meanwhile, he just continues to lead. He continues to do his priestly duties. Here's this guy that commits adultery. He commits murder and just keeps doing on this, the religious things. He leads his people. He does his stuff. And finally, someone confronts him. And he, at first, he tries to pretend he didn't do it. But then finally, he deals with the issue. And if you're open up to Psalm 51, we see this perfect example of how he deals with it. Okay? So you ready? I can actually sum Psalm 51 up in, in 10 seconds. Here it is. David admits his sin. He asks for forgiveness, and he walks away rejoicing. Psalm 51. That's it. He admits it. He admits his sin. God forgives him, and he rejoices. Nothing fancy, just this simple, here's what I did, God, forgive me. And then we celebrate. Unfortunately, though, it, it's not that easy or simple for us, is it, to just do those things? Because we're so, we're so used to lying. We're so used to putting the, the pretty pillows in front of the manure instead of dealing with what, what's happening. And we just can't admit that what we've been doing is wrong and admit it in its rawest form. Admit our sin without any excuses without blaming it on anyone else. And then, on top of that, 
We admit our sin and we, don't, we, we can't even fully believe that he forgives us. On top of that, I say, let's walk away rejoicing, but we can't because we don't even believe that we've really been forgiven. We're so used to when we talk to other people making ourselves sound better than we are. I was famous at that. I, I believed in the statement, fake it till you make it. And that's what I did. I just believed I was something else. We try to make our sin not really sin. We blame it on other people. We hide things. And even when we pray to God, Almighty God, our Creator, we try to make our sin sound better to Him, which is so stupid. <laughs> hey, God, I did this thing, but, you know, I had a really rough day. Or I did this thing, but it was because He told me to. I mean, come on. It's God. Like, he knows. However, David says in Psalm 51, here's a pattern. Just do this. Deal with the real issue. Clean up the manure. Don't skirt around and dust the other areas of your living room because no matter how clean it is, the manure is still going to stink. It doesn't matter. And the first thing David says in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So David is appealing to God and says, will you forgive me because I know my sins. I know what I did wrong. My sins are always before me. There's no point in running. There's no point in hiding. We try, oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. So let's be honest today. Because it's God. There's no point in hiding anything to God. Right now, I'm going to ask you a simple question <clears throat> that I want everyone to answer. Not out loud, but in your own mind. What are you lying about? This morning, what are you hiding from? What have you been pretending to be? And I want you to think about that and hold on to that. What are the things that only you know and God knows, but maybe no one else on the planet? And take that thing and think, have you really confessed that to God? Like in its rawest form, not prettying it up, but just laying it out there. There's many times that we appeal to him, to God, based on our own goodness. Like we say things like, God, you know I've been trying hard. I've been trying really hard. I'm a good person, but I just blew it this one time. So please forgive me. Or maybe you sin and you don't want to approach God right away, so you let time pass, and you pursue him all that time, and you do all these good things during that time, and you think, let me just build up a bunch of good stuff, then I'll go tell God what I've been doing wrong and ask for forgiveness. I mean, some of us did that to our parents, like, hey, mom, when I was in high school, the whole time I did drugs. That was a long time ago, just letting you know. Does that make it better? No. Does it make it any better? But we do that. We, like, years later, we'll go back and tell our parents what we did wrong. 
We commit the crime and then we say, I don't want to stand before God until I can prove myself somehow. And then we make an appeal to God for forgiveness based on our own goodness, our own good works. But that's not what David did. Instead, what David says is, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He doesn't say, forgive me because I'm not that bad. He says, forgive me because you are so loving. You are so loving. He appeals to God based on God's goodness, not his own. The Bible says that you demonstrated your love for us while we were sinners. So while we were sinning, Christ demonstrated his love for us. While we were at our worst, God says, I still love you, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to send my son to pay for your crime. So we should look at this and say, wow, God is such a loving God. And when we come before him and confess, we can say, God, I know you're loving, and I know your love does not fail, so I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you because I know how much you love me and because you are so good. He says in verse 2, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, according to your, you blot out my transgressions. And he says, God, because you're so good, would you forgive me? But here's the thing. It's a two-way street, right? Because we all come to church, and from the time we're, we're little, we learn how much God loves us. Yes, God loves me. But here's the question. Here's the part two. How much do you love him? God loves you, but how much do you love him? Some of you are um, in the book study with Pastor Jim, Killing Kryptonite. And in it, John Bevere tells the story of his struggle with pornography. He asked for forgiveness for nine months straight. So he, he confessed his sin, and then for nine months he kept pushing just to feel better and just to, to get grasp that forgiveness that he was looking for. And all the while, he was still struggling with the pornography, with the lust. And then finally, after nine months, he was delivered. When he asked God why it took so long, God said, because you finally started crying out to know me intimately. Your heart finally started breaking because you were hurting my heart. You knew that your sin was tearing me apart, and that is why you asked for forgiveness. Your heart was breaking because you were hurting my heart by your sin. You knew I had died to free you from the sin, and you hated participating in anything that would have contributed to sending me to the cross. When John Bevere realized that that was the true issue, that's when he was truly forgiven. And there's a difference. See, David was forgiven because he is heartbroken that he hurt the heart of the one that he loves. His sorrow, David's sorrow, is not focused on himself. Sorrow of the world, worldly sorrow, focuses on us, okay? Worldly sorrow focuses on us. 
We think, what are the consequences? Will I be judged? Will I suffer from my sin? All these things are what cause us to, to confess our sins. It's worldly sorrow. What will people think of me? Godly sorrow focuses on Jesus. I've hurt the heart of the one I love. And no matter what he decides, his justice is fair and true, and I fall before his mercy. So when we ask for forgiveness, and he knows we mean it, and we know he means it, God just says, forgiven. Forgiven. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago when I sent my son to die for you. I just needed you to believe it and truly not want to sin anymore. Forgiven. In our human relationships, it's similar. When someone hurts us, we say, I just need to know that you truly hurt me, that you know what you did is wrong. And because you love me so much, you don't want to do it again, right? When someone does something to hurt you, sometimes a simple I'm sorry doesn't cut it. I know there's been times that my husband has said he was sorry because maybe he didn't want to sleep on the couch anymore. <laughs> or this happens very often. We're on our way to a party and we're, we're in the car <laughs> and we're mad at each other. I'm mad at him. And he'll lean over and put his hand on my hand and be like, I'm sorry. And I give him that look like, are you really sorry? And he's like, come on, you know, because he doesn't want to walk into this party with a cranky wife. Like, that's the real problem. He wants to like, you know, we got to be happy walking in here. And I know that, but I don't, I don't want to just say sorry. I want to know that you think what you did was wrong. Tell me I'm right, you know. That's what, that's what we really want. Just, just say, men, just say you were right, but mean it. <laughs> you realize that God wants that same authentic relationship with us. He wants that same restoration. He wants true, authentic restoration, a real relationship. Some of you cry out to feel closer to God. There's so many moments. It's like a fight to want to be close to him. And we want that because, man, it's just so peaceful and we love him so much and we love being in his presence. But guess what? He wants it so much more. He wants that relationship with you so much more. Sin creates a gap between you and him, like a disconnect when you're sinning. Uh, that lack of peace that you may feel, it's because of sin in your life. And we think, oh man, I just want to be right with God. I don't want to feel the difference. I promise you, he doesn't either. Not at all. He sees us in our sin and sees this wall that you've built between you and him. And he sends his son to die. To tear down the wall. So there'd be restoration. So when you pray and ask for forgiveness, don't feel like you have to earn it based on your goodness, based on what you're doing right Come before God and say, it's in your very nature. You are so loving. So forgive me, please, because I know you want to. There's power in forgiveness, but we cannot forget the power that there's power in asking for it as well. Pure ask for forgiveness, like with no excuses. I'm sorry. I just, what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. 
I hate it when my kids blame everything that they do on everything and everyone but themselves. I hit her because she did X, Y, Z. So annoying. Hate it. <laughs> Letting you guys know my kids are there. Don't do that. <clears throat> because how can I forgive them if they don't think they did anything wrong? Right? I can't forgive them. It's great when they come up to me and say, I did this thing wrong, I'm so sorry. And we're like, all right, let's deal with it. We're so much quicker to forgive people when they just own what they've done wrong. And when you confess with no excuses, you are taking responsibility. God doesn't just want words of confession. He didn't want me to just wash off the chalk on the ground. He wants victory. He wanted me to understand that to have a pure heart, to not want to say those things. He wants life change. God knows that as long as we're pointing the finger and stuck on whose fault is it and who, who did this or who did that, we're jammed and we're trapped in victim mode when we don't take the responsibility. And when you're in victim mode, you're stuck in suffering. You'll continue to suffer. I mean, it's not someone's fault if their father was an abusive alcoholic, but it is your responsibility to make a life out of yourself no matter what your father did. It's your responsibility. It's not your fault if your partner cheated or ruined your marriage, but it is your responsibility to learn how to take that pain and deal with it. And unfortunately, fault and responsibility, they don't go together. And that stinks because we want the person that hurt us to suffer. We want to blame it on them. We don't want to have to do the work. You do the work to fix what you did to me. That's what we want to happen. But unfortunately, that's just not how it goes. We have to take responsibility. And God knows that if we take responsibility, we'll experience true victory. Your heart, your life is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. So it doesn't matter whose fault it is if something in your life is broken because it's our responsibility to fix it. So David, he comes before the Lord and doesn't use excuses. He could have said, well, God, you put Bathsheba there. You know how beautiful she is. You know how tempted I would be. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, but you did this. You know, you knew she was hot. No, that's not, no. You know, or I'm king and I was stressed and I was having a rough day. I just wanted to feel better. That's, that's, not, that's not how we do it. But instead, David goes and he says in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He says, what I did was evil. And if you were to judge me right now, you are totally justified to do so. So I won't pretty it up, I won't put the pillow there, I won't make excuses because I truly love you and want to be better. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I can't remember the scripture that I, or what exactly I said when I washed it, but I remember I had to repeat some words about washing. And David says here, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And it's a very bold saying saying, wash me, white as snow, because that means you're laying it all out. The dirtiest secrets, saying, God, here's what I did. 
I know it was wrong. So remember that lie uh, that you thought about earlier? In a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to admit it to God and ask for forgiveness. To be completely honest, completely honest before God. And it may be tough because we're in this habit of making our sin not so bad and in this habit of hiding and, and lying to ourselves and everyone else. But I've been praying this morning, or for the past week about this morning, that we would be able to come before God and because we realize how much we love him, we want to be better. We want to truly admit what we've been doing wrong, what we've been hiding. I've been praying this morning that we could just lay it out with no excuses, just say, God, here's what I did. It was sinful, it was sick, it was evil. I mean, I, I know I, I, there's this person, I hate this person, I know it's wrong to hate, or I've been staring at the internet, at men and women, your, your sons and daughters have been staring and it's been inappropriate. Or I'm in the, on the verge of an affair, I've, I've had an affair. Or I've been mistreating my kids. God, and these are your kids, God. I mean, the kicker is to all of this is, is he already knows. He, he already knows what you've been doing, what we've been doing. But as soon as you confess and believe, God wants to forgive you. You may think, as you're sitting thinking, and there's still pieces of paper around, so if you want to write things down or whatever, you can. And as you're writing things, you might think, I don't want people to see me writing things down or putting my head down to pray because then they'll think or know that I have secrets. <laughs> the truth is, is that you're probably not the only person that drinks too much alcohol in here. You're probably not the only person that, that maybe has looked at wrong stuff on the internet. You're not the, the only person that hates someone else. I mean, there, there's probably a long list. But I bet if God was here today, which he is, but if we could see him, he's got this list of all, all of us and all the things that we've done wrong. And as soon as we confess it and truly believe it, he's like, up, oh, forgiven. And he throws the list out because he's pumped because we finally owned up to what we're doing. I mean, the rumbling of, the con of confession today, of our confession, that lie, the rumbling of it is going to be like music to his ears. God's thinking, this is so good. I've missed them. I've wanted them to be with me. And this thing has been between us. So now that they've confessed it, now we could be one again. He's going to be so excited. There's not going to be any guilt. He's not going to sit there and go, wow, wow, that's pretty bad. I don't know. No. He's pumped. He's saying, I can forgive them, finally, and the relationship can be right again. So um, if Sam wants to come up here, uh, we're going to play some music into some light music. <clears throat> and um, the word, on the screen, there'll be some words that David used. 
same words. And, and as you're praying and asking God, what are those things that, you could, that you're hiding? As you're praying, music will be playing. And, and when you think of that thing, I'm going to put the words that David says on the screen so you can say them when you're done. You could write it down. There's no, you don't have to be fancy about it. You don't have to, you know, thou shall art forgive me, whatever. I have no idea. You just say it without stuff. And after you're done, you can say these words that David said. Cleanse me, wash me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So right now, without excuses, without making an appeal for yourself, but out of your love for him, I just want you to spend a few moments open and honestly admitting your sin to him and asking for forgiveness. If you have a, a long, long list and you need more time, you don't have to be here to do it. When you leave today, you can still confess. But today you can walk away believing you are forgiven. Like really believe that it's completely done. You're clean. The manure's gone. I mean, it's, maybe, can we get this maybe put out? I have a stuffed up nose and I can smell it. It's bad. Pastor Michael. Youth pastor, thank you, sir. Manure's gone. You're forgiven. Okay? Yes, you can clap. It's kind of great. I understand that some of you, you knew this before. This might be elementary, and you might be sitting here saying, you know, I've confessed this a million times, and I'm still struggling, or I don't feel any different. Well, let David's words encourage you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I say this because sometimes I confess and still not feel joy. When Adam and I were new believers, we'd give our, we gave our life to Jesus, but we kept you know, doing things wrong. And so every time there was an altar call, we'd run up to the altar and be like, God, forgive me, every time, you know. <laughs> but it, it doesn't, it, it, you may still have been struggling, but we truly wanted to be better. We really did. We'd wait for like this magical moment to take away our sin. And that might be you. And you truly confess, but fall into sin again. But listen, if that's you, if that is you, and you've come before him, and your heart is pure, and you truly want to be better, please hear me right now. Jesus says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. 
Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, forgive him. You must forgive. The reason God tells us to forgive someone who sins yet genuinely repents is because we are to forgive as our heavenly father forgives us. You must know that if you've sinned multiple times and you're still struggling, but you've genuinely approached God, brokenhearted and true repentance, you are forgiven and the blood of Jesus cleanses you as if you have never sinned. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. God knows if you've asked for forgiveness, if you don't mean it, and he knows if you do. So don't punish yourself. Because if you've asked for true forgiveness and you're struggling with guilt and shame, it's like God handed you this awesome gift today and you're like, I don't feel so good. And you give the gift right back. We don't want to do that. This takes away from the greatness of God. You've been forgiven and you still may have to push through to true freedom. Because true confession and repentance does lead to forgiveness, but it isn't until you've been truly delivered from that sin that you'll experience real freedom. Listen, this is important. Because you need to understand that walking out of here today doesn't mean everything went away. You're forgiven, but you need to experience true freedom. And this is a real thing. I personally know it. If you have to fight for a good attitude, if you have to fight to not gossip, if you have to fight to not drink if you're an alcoholic, if you have to fight to not look at messed up stuff, if you still have to fight, then you haven't fully experienced true freedom. You're still in bondage. But can we possibly believe that Jesus' free gift delivers up from eternal penalty of sin, but is not powerful enough to get us free from that bondage? How could we possibly believe that? I, a long time ago, I read this book, and it talked about men who were struggling with pornography, and he said, if a woman walks by, just look the other way and bounce the eyes. And yes, that's great, great uh, advice for someone that's struggling, but if you have to look away and bounce the eyes, you're still struggling. The point is, is that you don't even have to try. That's true freedom. Freedom is not having to try to be better. It just happens. The goal is to be set free. So some action steps today, okay? We're pumped, we're excited, you're forgiven. If you truly meant it. Walking away today, find someone to pray with you. Because yes, we are to confess our sins to God, but James also says, confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. And believe that when they lay hands on you and they pray for your healing of whatever your sin is, that you're receiving it. Find someone to pray. Seek counsel and accountability. Talk to one of the pastors. Find a group to attend. Find community of people that you can be honest with and they can walk you. When you're about to do something wrong, you can text them and be like, hey, I need you to pray right now. Find a group to do that. We have so many classes, Celebrate Recovery and Marriage Mentoring and all this stuff. There's no excuse. Last thing, stay in the word. Because I promise you, there's nothing the enemy wants more than to, when you walk out of here today to get you to keep doing what you've been doing. So develop a habit of prayer and, and reading in the, in the Bible to remind you daily, to renew your mind daily and remind you just how much God absolutely loves you and has delivered you. So let's pray, God, we just love you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are a forgiving God. We thank you that you cleanse our life. 
we thank you so much that you forgive us because we love you so much. We don't want to hurt you. We thank you for your word that renews us. We thank you for the community of people that surrounds us so we can continue to walk it out and make good decisions, God. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you for going to that cross, for just saying, even while we were messed up, forgiven. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the glory for every testimony in this room, every person that's gonna walk out of here and be different, God. We give you the glory for that because we know it's because of you. We love you. Amen. Man, guys, have a great day.